It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. Good show coming up. Lavelle Enil the third from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a little bit. We're gonna talk Vikings. Gonna talk go for football. A little bit of Twins at the end. Vikings in particular, talking about Kevin O'Connell. Lavelle and I get into it a little bit on O'Connell's performance this season. I think Lavelle's a little higher on it than I am, although we find plenty of common ground as well. So listen up for that here in just a little bit. Um, good conversation all around with uh, with Lavelle. Always love having him on the show I'll have some extra Gophers and Vikings thoughts towards the end of the show, including something I thought was interesting, a question I asked TJ Hawkinson at Vikings Media Access on Wednesday, just about kind of the ebbs and flows of this season. So that's towards the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? I want to start with the Wolves. I'm not going to go too deep on the Wolves today. We're going to get to Lavelle quick because... You can't spend too much time every 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 time the Wolves play, every time the Wild play. We can't, you know, dissect too much. These are one of eighty-two kind of things. But game int- game was interesting against uh, Philadelphia on Wednesday. Wolves didn't like the officiating. Some some complaining about that both during the game and after the game. Rudy Gobert complaining about two fouls that got called on him in the first four minutes. It's hard, right? It's hard to differentiate between legitimate complaints about officials which you have to which you have sometimes like officials are human they make they make bad calls they make decisions that have a disproportionate effect on a game relative to what you would want relative to their role right like officials in the NFL in the NBA like pass interference you know defensive holding on a third and long um, getting someone in foul trouble in the in the NBA, you know, balls and strikes in baseball, penalties in hockey, like it, just little, seemingly little things, little judgment calls, if they're tilted in one direction, can give one team a much better chance to win. You know, not like ninety percent to ten percent, but you know, if you nudge a fifty-fifty game into a sixty-forty territory, it is a pretty significant impact on a game, and that's why that's I think that's what the Wolves were trying to say in this one and that they got a lot of fouls calling them. Joel Embiid had 51 points, 17 of them coming on free throws. He was a monster all game. It wasn't just free throws. Obviously it was a lot of his all around game. And a lot of that too was Rudy Gobert being in foul trouble, not being able to defend him quite as much as they would have wanted to. But you also look at this game. The Wolves were 20 and five coming in. The, the Sixers are one of the best teams in the East. You, you can't lose it too much over a loss like this. They, they lost to a good team on the road. Final was 127 to 113. So the defense didn't hold up like they wanted it to, but they were within three points to start the fourth quarter, right? Like even, even with all the, you know, even with all the foul adversity or whatever they wanted to call it throughout the game, they were still right there. They still could have had a better fourth quarter. Uh, Philadelphia actually expanded its lead in the first five minutes of the fourth with Embiid on the bench. So just the the basic takeaways from this game are, I don't want to draw too many, I don't want to overreact to a loss. I don't think the Wolves should overreact to officiating. These are games that just happen when you play good teams over the course of an 82-game season, right? You're going to lose. You're going to be unhappy with things. You got to kind of flush it out, wash it away. They're three and two still on this kind of stretch of 16 tough games, a lot of them on the road. I think they've shown 
some good things during the stretch, especially with that win against Dallas, that win against Miami. I think I think they still have to feel good about themselves overall. So I don't want, for their sake, this to become a point in their season where things start to take a detour. Just kind of realize this is one of 82 and kind of, kind of wash it away. And don't let yourself get into this territory where it's going to become this constant parade of officiating problems, officiating, questioning, things like that, because that distracts you, detracts you from your own strength. And I think in this game, you know, it happens sometimes. I think that was a factor in this game. Don't let that take don't let that take away from what you do well. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. I've got Star Tribune columnist Lavelle Enil III with me today. Lavelle, um, there's a lot going on right now, but I think mostly we're going to talk Vikings and go for football because it was signing day Wednesday. I think you were over checking out PJ Fleck. You've got a Vikings column. Um, I believe that would be online and in, in, in Thursday's print edition, if I'm not mistaken. In defense, a little bit of Kevin O'Connell. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. I just think that uh, yeah, I've started seeing some things over the last couple, uh, ever since the Bengals game. You know, uh, Fire KLC was trending on, on Twitter slash X. You know, there's been some grumbling about some of his moves, and I'm like, you know, a lot of that's easy, but I think if you look at what he had to deal with this year, um, he went, uh, what was it, 5-2 and two without Justin Jefferson. Yes. He went 3-3 three, three without Kirk Cousins. Yes. Um, I do think Cousins is not as appreciated as much here as he should be, and the, the way the offense looked with him out, I think, was more evidence of that. Um, you throw all that in, plus, you know, the running game transitioning away from Dalvin Cook, to Alexander Madison, who really was inconsistent, I think that's easy. That's safe to say. The polite way to say it. Yeah, he had a he had a lot of stuff going on that he had to adjust to. You know, basically they had to hang their head on defense. Uh, every, as soon as uh, Cousins went down, and I think the work he did with uh, Dobbs getting him ready to contribute in the to the Atlanta win was impressive. Uh, he shows up on a Wednesday and Sunday he's helping the Vikings win. I just think there were a lot of things there. Um, that he had to deal with that um, the fact that they're seven and seven with a chance to win a division. It's they got a shot. The Lions are beatable, and then between that, they have the Packers. They could win those last three games and be NFC North champions. So I think the fact that they're at this point speaks to how he was able to keep the ship from taking on too much water. I think that's fair. I think I think the criticism of this of him this year is fair too, though, because I think his. The way I phrased it the other day, and I think I wrote this, is I think for six days a week, he's somewhere between a good and a very good head coach. Like as as far as like the CEO, if you if in college football you'd kind of call it like the 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 guy who leads the program. As far as like as a program leader, I think Kevin O'Connell's very good. Obviously, he's gotten these guys to buy in, to play hard. They went they had no business going 13 and 4 last year. To get them to go from 0 and 3, 1 and 4 this year to where they are now, with still a chance, an outside chance at the division, still a chance for sure at the playoffs. That's impressive. But 
on the other day of the week, the game day, I think he's got a long way to go, Lavelle. I think he's got some work to do on his in-game philosophy, his in-game strategy. And I got to say, Lavelle, he hired Brian Flores, but if they hadn't hired Brian Flores, if they didn't have Brian Flores' defense this year, they'd be five and nine, four and ten right now. Uh, I don't think. I, I think that's. I think that's safe to say. I think KLC realized after the last, you know, seeing this defense last year and looking at the numbers from the previous two years that something had to be addressed there with that defense, and it, it's gotten them. Uh, it, it led to Brian Flores, which was a good, uh, a, a good hire. I did point out in my column for tomorrow that. I thought KLC's game plan against the Bears was not the best game plan. And I also said the tush push against the Bengals uh, was just a misallocation of resources. You don't have – you got 11 personnel, three wide receivers on the on the field. Um, Nick Mullins is – I looked, I stood next to him in the clubhouse in, in Las Vegas. If he's six feet tall, I'm six feet two. Uh, <laughs> and, and he's not He's not 230 pounds. Like, no, he's like uh, 190. He's, Taylor Hurts. He's small. And he's, yeah. and he's not he's not behind a great offensive line like Hurts is. And he's you know, getting that, pushed by Brandon Powell, who's 180 pounds. Well, I pointed out, CJ Ham, why do you have a fullback on the roster? I don't know. Yeah, if you're not going to use him in a short yardage situation. You know, you have your hedgehog. Just deploy him then. You know, so um, so I, I thought that was a misallocation of resources there. Uh, but I think for the most part, he, he was able to keep the season becoming a disaster. They respond to him. Uh, when he said this is a championship caliber defense in Vegas, the place exploded. You know, so uh, they're buying what he's selling. And I think that's a good sign. And if he wins these three games and ends up, well, I think they're going to the playoffs. I think they're going to win at least two out of these next three. Okay. But he wins all three and wins the division. You know, I think the work he did with this team may be better than last year's. When everything went well, where they pulled one score wins out of their keisters week in, week out. You know, they're only five and seven in uh, one score victories this year, one score games this year. So I, I think you're right. I think there's some things you can knock them for. But I think you know, as a longtime football fan, I've complained about co- uh, coaching calls and coaching uh, decisions and play calls in certain situations and game plans. And I almost think that's like complaining about the bat in baseball or line changes in hockey, or um, minutes, who's getting minutes in basketball, you know. So um, I think the big picture is he kept this, the ship from sinking, and he deserves credit for that. And uh, the fire KLC thing, I'm not. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree. Fire KLC is ridiculous. He's done, a, he's done a good job. He's an above-average coach when you balance everything out, even if I've got gripes with some of the way things have gone this year. The other thing I would say, though, is like, why did Dobbs get worse the more time he spent with Kevin O'Connell? It was is that I mean some of, some of it is Dobbs that he's limited. I get it, but like it seemed like the more Kevin O'Connell wanted him to be the quarterback that can run his offense, the worse off things were. Now you saw with with Nick Mullins, they were able to move the ball. Mullins made some questionable decisions, but they put twenty four points up. Usually that's going to be enough to win. But with Dobbs, like, you know, the Bears game, they were terrible on offense. They, they come back from the bye week. They're like, okay, we had some time to talk. We figured this out. They go scoreless for like three and a half quarters before they pull them. Why are they so much worse the more time these guys spend together? Yeah, that's a big question because uh, Dobbs definitely got worse the more of the playbook he absorbed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to make out of that. Is that that he's limited what he can handle? Or was KSC throwing too much at him? You know, that's that's a, a questionable thing. And then, But the thing is, too, with Nick Mullins, Mullins is a little bit of a daredevil. He doesn't care sticking the ball 
in tight spaces to see if, if stuff can happen. So I think I think when they look back in this season and start game planning for 2024, they are going to realize that they've got to respect the contribution of a running game a little bit more. Um, and that may mean turning to Canada Keys to Ty Chandler as a one guy, but they've got to they're gonna have to uh, realize that when they had Dalvin Cook as a dual threat guy, that it was it made the off it gave the offense his best version of itself. And I think you just can't go throw first. Although it would have been interesting to see a healthy Cousins and a healthy Jefferson all year long, uh, what that would have done. But I think that uh, there's gonna be a little more balance here with this with the squad going forward. You know what I want to see from from O'Connell? I want to see him in PJ Flex words. I want to see him change his best. I want to see him change his best. That's a that's a Fleckism. I want him to go from, you know, a guy that everybody most people seem to like. You're right. The fire KOC stuff's ridiculous, like I said. But I want to see him go from a guy who I want to see him just get more comfortable in these game day roles. I, I think he's confident in what he's doing. I just don't think some of his decision making is right. I don't think you know, the tush push is is problematic in and of itself. Doing it twice is problematic. The rationale behind it in trying to keep the other team from getting into their goal line package, that was the same stuff he was saying against the Chargers when they threw that ill-advised interception at the end when, when Cousins was rushed. They were trying to, to keep the defense, you know, from being able to substitute. Like, just play to your strengths. He overthinks it a little bit too much, I think. Well, if you're going to do that too, you could fake the tush push and and throw out of that formation. Which they kind of did. They kind of yeah. did earlier in that game, in that in that Cincinnati game. No, I just, you know, like I said, I think when you have a fullback, not too many teams, I think only a handful of NFL teams have a fullback on their roster. And why in the hell you aren't going to use him? You know, C.J. Ham is a hardworking guy. He's committed here. He likes living here. Uh, he's a season ticket holder for the Aurora, I believe. You know, he's, he's a great human being. Why don't you let him thrive in a situation so he can feel the love? Because it would have worked out, I think, if you hand the ball. Either hand the ball to him or have him plow the road for someone else. Although it was kind of interesting. We heard from Nick Mullins on Wednesday. I was out at Vikings uh, Access. Basically, he's, he fell on the sword a little bit, too. He said he needs to change the cadence on that play. I think that maybe the cadence was too similar from one play to the next, which could explain how... Cincinnati was able to get such a surge on that fourth down play. So a lot of little things go into it. And if they make any stops, if you don't give up 21 points in the fourth quarter, we're not even talking about any of the tush pushes. So I get it. It's, it's give and take with these, with these coaches. I, I just want to see a little bit more from KOC on game days. Is this what it looks like when you have backups running the team? It is. Yeah. You know, it is. It uh, is. I, that's the other thing. You were over at, um, let's switch gears a little bit. You were over at signing day. For the Gophers, you listen to PJ Flex spiel, uh, which usually takes a while. I've been over there for a bunch of those in the past when he kind of goes through all the players. I think they had 19 high school players, another five. 54 minutes. 54 minutes before you guys got a question in? Yes. That's amazing. Uh, went, what, what, did you, what did you think of that? Had you been over for one of those before? Uh, it's, it was pretty – I was somewhat entertained because you know, Flex shows up. He's got the resplendent jacket on and a tie and – and he goes down every player and talks about his background and his family situation. You heard about the parents and the mom and the dads and the aunts and getting extra to-go place of food and he's visiting people in their homes and uh, uh, and in the whole in the whole spiel. So um, my angle, you know, because I'm writing about it for Sunday, is that in addition to you know get, just getting recruiting done, 
It's more than just being a, a recruiting tracker now. You have to be an NIL tracker. You have to be a portal tracker. And PJ was spinning all these plates while trying to get this team ready for a damn yes. bowl game. And I just thought that he had a lot of stuff going on. Plus, he doesn't have a defensive coordinator. You know, oh, true. So, it's true. You know, so he's hoping to hire one by the first couple weeks in January. That's what he told us today. So um, I just realized he had a lot of stuff going on. But, you know, it was a wide-ranging interview. I mean, he, bring, he brings in a lot of um, storytelling when he's on the podium talking about his players. Somehow uh, the Bulls of the Clown Show and the Grand Prize game came up uh, during his presser. Uh, and I'm sitting there going, how many people actually know that there was a Bozo show in, in this room? Because, you know, you look at Brian Burns and some of these other guys, they're like 20 years younger than me. Right. I grew up in Chicago, so I know what Bozo the Clown is. <laughs> it, it just, I just think, it, of course, PJ's was with Spring Lake Park, Illinois, so he probably grew up with it too. But uh, I just thought it was hilarious that all this stuff, he, it's like a big souffle with him. He throws in a lot of different ingredients and try to make this person come out, you know, something that's worth eating. He... This is one of his best recruiting classes. Might be his most impressive one in some ways because they got the best player in Minnesota, yep. the best player in Wisconsin, the best player in North Dakota, and you know a state champion quarterback from the big schools in in Arkansas. Um, still, and I talked about this on on yesterday's show. It's it's like having at a time when high school recruiting means less because of the transfer portal, you don't know, you don't know how long any of these guys are going to be here. You know, there's a stat that I saw that, you know, four years ago, transfers made up 6% of FBS rosters this past year. It was 20% and he's going to go up and up and up. Um, I mean, you mentioned he's got to, he's got to deal with all these different things at different times. How much does, how much, I mean, recruiting still matters, but it doesn't matter as much as it used to signing data. isn't the same because you don't know how long these guys are even going to be here. And the thing about recruiting is now, uh, uh, Mike, is that um, you got to make sure you do a good job with whoever you talk to, whoever you approach, because that kid may go to Purdue or that kid may go to Arkansas or that kid may go to Kansas and want to transfer out. And so now yes. you have to be in the pecking order for the guys you miss out on just in case if it doesn't work out where they're at. You may have a, a, a shot to get them in the a, in a, in a secondary market. Let's call it the secondary market. Secondary market, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, and it, it's a reality. you, you got to spin all these different plates, man. you got to uh, put your finger in dikes and cover up holes when you can because it's just, you know, I'm looking at Illinois. I think Brett Billman was bringing in like six or seven Juco kids as part of his class, you know. Um, and we won't know how good these kids are until until uh, they get a couple years under their belt. And will they stay that long? It's just it's the reality. I don't know if you can change change that, but you know, kids are going to move. They're going to if they don't instead of trying to stick it out and fight through their problems, if they run into some turbulence during their first year or two, they're going into the portal. Um, they find out they got a friend that they miss at another school. They're going to join him or her in the portal. Um, you you see three quarterbacks come in all of a sudden. You looking at the numbers game, you don't like it. You're going to the portal. Yeah. You know, so it's uh, it's just the reality. There's always been transfers, but there were fewer of them, and it was quieter generally. And now, you're right. It's it's there's probably more more urgency to go other places. It's easier to go other places. And you cut. You talked about the secondary market. Sometimes the <laughs> tickets are more expensive on the secondary market, Lavelle. Um, and these players in the transfer portal can get kind of expensive. Um, and that's a, that's a different, whole different kind of part of the, the equation. That's another thing that PJ brought up uh, during his talk with us. 
was that he claims that their NIL situation is 10 to 20 times better than it was a year ago. I believe it. Time. So I'm trying to out, okay, who's, who's the sugar daddy that just made it rain on the NIL program here? Because <laughs> that it's been coming up the last two, three weeks that they're doing better in NIL. So who wrote this check? We're, we're trying to, we're trying to find out who. Yeah. I'd like to know that too. Cause it was, they kind of had a late start on it and other teams were kind of blowing them out of the water, but it does seem like they're starting to catch up, starting to be able to play the game that needs to be played. And, you know, part of that game is bringing in transfer quarterbacks. I don't think they were swimming in, you know, the, the biggest money part of the pool, but, but Max Brosmer, it seems like he's pretty well regarded, you know, in terms of maybe not the, the elite of the elite transfers, but of that kind of next tier, he he's definitely up there and can help him next year. He, well, he'll, he'll definitely have to help them next year. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's the other thing, too. Well, we won't know until the games are played next year, but uh, PJ's claiming he really likes his quarterback room and his wide receiver room. I'm like, okay, PJ, how is that going to affect your play calling next year when you have these weapons? Because I, I still think part of the reason Kaliakmanis left was because, uh, you know, PJ was so averse to mistakes that he never got, he never was able to bounce back from them. That game against Michigan State where you threw a pick and then PJ called 15 running plays. Yeah. I, I was like, you, you can't, you got, first of all, in college, you got to keep trying to score. You got to keep trying to score. You can't just run down the clock and kill the clock anymore. That's the only way you do that unless you have a running back like Mo Ibrahim running behind a veteran offensive line with a, uh, with a quarterback that's not going to turn over the ball in Tanner Morgan. And get in that perfect situation, have everything in line, it's hard to do. So you have to keep scoring the ball. That means you got to put the ball in the air. That means you're going to have to embrace the occasional interception uh, and work through drop passes. So if, if he's fired up about his offensive skill position players, I want to see how it manifests itself next year. Yeah, that's fair because last year they were excited about these guys too. I don't know if it's a it's a chicken and the egg thing with Calic Manis because he just was not accurate. And I think some of his mistakes, you're right, made Fleck go back to more of his tendencies right his tendency is to play it safe to run the ball and when you have a quarterback who's making mistakes or missing throws it's only going to push you back into it but you also have to let that quarter quarterback bite through those mistakes if he's going to come out the other side of it so it was it was a little bit of chicken there i think correct i agree i agree so i'm interested to see how brosmer uh, what type of impact he makes in this program because they're going to they're going to need him to step up a lot because they got the one returning kid and they brought, they're bringing in three quarterbacks. Yeah. Right? The kid from Arkansas, the backup from Fresno State, correct? Yep. And Brosmer. Yep. So, uh, Brosmer's probably going to, they're going to have to lean on him right away. Yeah. I think mean, he's, he's here to play. He's only got one year left. The, the transfer from Fresno State's got two years left. So you can imagine him thinking, hey, chance to play next year if something happens. Definitely a chance to play in 2025 based on, you know, whatever might happen. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But that's, that's kind of the nature of, quarterback play especially the quarterback is the one where it's affected most in the portal so far right now hey uh lavelle while i got you here what's uh what's cooking with the twins seems kind of like this the hot stove is uh is this kind of a this kind of a, a very lukewarm oven right now is that is that uh, how we should put it i don't even know if it's on simmer right now i just <laughs> I, I think the twins best chance in improving that rotation is to make a trade for someone and there's Rumors that there's interest in both uh, Jorge Polanco and uh, Max Kepler, but I don't know how, how that's going to play out. And I just want to warn everybody who wants who wants the Twins to make a move like tomorrow. A lot of moves will come till spring training. Jake Odorizzi was traded for during spring training. Um, Lance Lynn was signed during spring training. 
Kenta Maeda was traded for the day before camp opened. These things drag out and because uh, because of Shohei Otani slowing down the market. Now Yamamoto is slowing down the free agent pitching market. So other teams are going to, you know, holding back on resources or whatever. So this is going to take a while. So be patient. I do need to point out one disappointing development in Twins land. Okay. Long-time long Twins employee. Uh, I believe he was the longest tenured member in that front office. Rob Anthony did yes. not have his contract renewed. Really? And uh, Yeah. And so he is, I think it's like 29 years or something like that. Um, his career with the Twins is over. Great guy, solid earth person, hard worker. Everybody liked Rob. The Twins continued to streamline their operations department. Um, they're they're creating more room for analysts. And uh, unfortunately, at the uh, the end of a guy uh, who is highly thought of in this town and shouldn't have to look hard to find another job. Didn't you write about uh, someone in the scouting world that was kind of in that same boat recently? That was Billy Milos, who, yeah. whose name was next to everyone from Johan Santana to Eduardo Escobar, and basically helped Nick Anderson get to the majors, right. even though the Twins never called him up. And Nick ended up, I believe, and he was a reliever of the year a couple of years ago. Um, and yet in the last couple of years, Billy Milos was uh, scouring independent ball, trying to find players, which is hard to do. Yes. Um, they did not renew his contract either. They also parted ways with their Latin American guy, uh, they, that was more of a philosophical difference than cost-cutting move. Um, they have a replacement to who they hired from the Dodgers. But, yeah, so the Twins aren't just cutting payroll, man. They're they're cutting operations budgets as well. Interesting. Well, we'll see what they come up with. they got to figure out their TV situation, too. That's probably holding up some of this spending. They don't know how much money they can count on from their who's local TV. To, who's talking to Diamond now? Uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon. Amazon Prime Video, yeah. That would, that would be interesting. That, yeah. would, that would force a lot of people to... Uh, Join Amazon because I think if you, if you sign up to Prime, you get free yes. Prime. Yes, I, so. I've got it. Like that, that would be great for me. I've already, I'm already set. Like bring it, bring it in here. I'll take that over the, I'll take it over the Bally app, which doesn't work on my phone because I have the wrong kind of phone and it looks like a high school game on my phone. So I, I would take any upgrade over the, the current product. But they got, they got to figure that out so they know how much money they can spend, right? Like, are they going to get? 30 million, 50 million. They don't even know what their TV rights are going to be next year yet. I know. That's why they look at trade first here before uh, they can do any sort of free agent uh, shopping. But I'm intrigued by the possibility of the Amazon uh, yeah. being involved because, like I said, they're going to, that's going to force a lot of people to join Amazon. Yes. And I did not, I did not join until COVID. I came back okay. in April. I joined Amazon uh, the day, two days after. I uh, I got back home from Florida, and a week later, I upgraded to Prime. There you go. <laughs> so, well, you got it. Yeah, it's been part well, of my life ever since. <laughs> realistically, final thing on the Twins. Realistically, like a package centering around Polanco or Kepler. Is that? I mean, where does that even get you in a pitching market? I think it's gonna be. It's gonna have to be Kepler and a minor leaguer, yeah. or Polanco and a minor leaguer, and it depends on the level that minor leaguer uh, as to what type of pitcher they can get back. Maybe he could be a mid-level guy. I'm sure teams are asking to see if Brooks Lee can get tossed in. You Ooh, know? don't do that. Uh, don't do that. Well, it depends on how steadily the, well, would you have put Lee in the deal for Tyler Glass now? I mean, yeah, well, Glass now has been hurt so much. Like he's, I, I don't even feel like he was the best pitcher in that trade. The Dodger, and, you know, Dodgers gave up a pretty good pitcher in that trade. And didn't, didn't they sign Glass on at 20, $20 million a year or something? Yeah. 
Yeah, that would be the other component to that. Uh, I think the Twins are going to try to find somebody who's talented, young, and still has a little bit of control left, which means they're going back to the Marlins. <laughs> well, could be. I mean, hey, you know what? Other kid. Yeah. It worked the first time. I mean, Lopez, it was a, it was a win-win trade. Arise was great for them. Lopez was great for the Twins. Maybe they need to find another win-win trade. Um, well, Lavelle, it's always win-win when I've got you on. Appreciate it, as always. Uh if I don't talk to you before, happy holidays, uh, happy new year, and we'll talk to you uh, for sure in uh, in early 24. Uh, happy holidays to you as well. I'll see you soon. Great stuff from Lavelle. I've got some ideas for bringing Lavelle even more into the mix in 2024 on this podcast. So stick around, hopefully, for more of that in 2024. Um, right now, let's finish with the cooler. Got some ideas here on the Vikings and Gophers that Lavelle, didn't, Lavelle and I didn't quite get to. One was... Uh, TJ Hawkinson was available to the media on Wednesday, Vikings tight end. He was kind of talking about, you know, the the the, uh, the ups and downs of a season and, and things like that. So I asked him, you know, like, do, does understanding that there's going to be ebbs and flows in a year make it easier to kind of get over a loss like the one they had against the Bengals? And I kind of referred him back to a question I had asked him, I think, after the Chargers game where he had that pass go off his hands it was the interception at the end of the game where they could have won like how hard is it to let go of games like that so this was kind of a follow-up to that and I kind of I kind of referenced that a little bit so here was Hawkinson kind of talking about the ebbs and flows of a season and, and how you were able to move past tough games yeah I mean sometimes games can stick with you for sure um the, the, it's easy to say, uh, harder to do, obviously, um, is moving past things. But, um, you know, growing in this league and, and, and becoming older and having more years under my belt, um, you know, you just you, you have to let things go and, and you have to go back in the offseason and, and, and recollect and, and understand what you could you could have done better. And, and that, but that's for the offseason. You know, during the season, um, you are who you are and you play how you play. And there's things that you learn and things that you improve during the season. Um, but, you know, it, 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 you just got to let things go and, uh, you know, understand that. You know, some 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 weeks people will love you, and some people, weeks people will hate you, and that's just how it works. I mean, um, you, you just you go out there and play the best ball that you can every week, and um, prepare like you're going to, and you know things will come. And that mentality, to me, is kind of where Kevin O'Connell is at his best, right? Like Lavelle and I have talked about, um, you know, some of the ups and downs of O'Connell this year, my quibbles with some of the game day decisions. But one thing I've been impressed with is that they're their performance does not tend to carry over from game to game. They are able to kind of move past, or if they win, they're able to refocus, not get too high on themselves, things like that. So I would expect, even if, even after that loss against the Bengals where they felt like they let one get away, I would expect them to come out and play well against Detroit on Sunday to have a good finish to the season. It doesn't mean doesn't guarantee they're going to make the playoffs. That's pretty much a coin flip at this point because of the position they're in. But they still very much have a chance. Win two out of these next three, they're almost certainly in. Win all of these next three. Hey, Detroit's other game, aside from those two against the Vikings, is against Dallas. The, the division is still it's still out there. You know, it, it's possible. I think Detroit's a good team. I, th- I don't think the Vikings are going to sweep Detroit, but I certainly think they can win Sunday. And if they win Sunday, their playoff prospects are really good. So I think oh, the, mo- the, pl- the way O'Connell has been most impressive in his coaching tenure is getting these guys ready each week, even if I don't always agree with the way they play on Sundays. The other point I would make is uh, P.J. Fleck. 
they, they signed their signing day uh, group. I think it was 24, 25 guys on Wednesday. Lavelle and I talked about that. Lavelle was over at that. Um, now they got to focus on a couple other things. Like they got a bowl game in five days, and they got to hire a defensive coordinator not long after that. And Fleck talked about both of those things um, on Wednesday as well. But that, these are, you know, the signing day is, is something that happens every year. You don't have to sign it. You don't have to. You know, get a new defensive coordinator every year. Hopefully, at least um, there's a stretch where the Vikings had to get a new offensive coordinator every year. But this is a big deal for the Gophers. Just kind of remembering that now we're kind of past the recruiting frenzy. Yeah, there's still going to be transfer portal stuff. The portal's open till I think early January. They got the bowl game soon. But defensive coordinator, getting that higher right, making sure that remains a dominant side of the ball in the wake of the departure of Joe Rossi, that will tell you as much about the future of this program as anything else. So we got to watch for that. That's a big thing. He's got a lot on his plate this offseason in a short amount of time. That will do it for me today. We're going to talk ice fishing on Friday's show with Tony Kennedy, excellent outdoors writer for the Star Tribune. I'm sure we'll have plenty of other stuff to get into on that show as well, but going to have Tony on to talk about what's been a very, uh, very dry, uh, very, uh, very not icy ice fishing season so far and kind of what that's meant for Minnesota winters and Minnesota outdoors enthusiasts. That'll do it for me today. Come back tomorrow for Friday's show. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. We'll see you then.